Welcome to the Well-Seasoned Librarian podcast. This is Dean Jones, the Well-Seasoned Librarian. This is the last episode of the season and the year, and I'm talking to some of my fellow writers on One Table, One World for Medium. I've had all of them on the um, podcast before, and in fact, Terry Barr, our, um, uh, one of he was one of our senior members of Medium, and he's on many different platforms on Medium. He um, was our first guest ever back in May, and then um, Melissa Matthews was also one of our first guests. She's also a writer for One Table, One World on Medium, and Catherine Dillon as well was one of our first guests on uh, the podcast uh, and is also a writer on One Table, One World. So this is kind of a homecoming for me, uh, getting to talk to all my friends from Medium and uh, really had a great time getting a chance to talk to all of them and we want to do this again we're going to try and make this something we do kind of regularly because we have so much fun doing it so that being said i'm just going to go ahead and go right to the uh, podcast episode and again it's kind of a uh, bittersweet for me because it's the last episode of the year but we got lots of good stuff coming for the net rest of the year which we'll circle back on at the end of this episode so onward we go Welcome to the Well Seasoned Librarian podcast. Today, I'm very happy to have on some people that we've had on here before that you've heard on here before. And they're also, all of them are have one thing in common. They're all my fellow um, compatriots in the one table, one world on Medium. I'm very welcome to have on here, um, one of the, the first person I've ever had on the show, Terry Barr. Terry is a thrice nominated Pushcart Prize essayist, originally from Bessemer, Alabama. His Essay collections Don't Date Baptist, We Might As Well Eat, and Secrets I'm Dying to Tell You, All Excellent, by the way, are published by Red Hawk Publications and available on Amazon. Thank you for being on the show, Terry. Thanks, Dean. Thanks for having me. And next up is Melissa Matthews, a first-generation American storyteller, mixed-media artist, writer, facilitator, and entrepreneur, and children's book author I, I, I saw as well. From Brooklyn, New York, she graduated with a BFA in painting from Howard University in 2008. She's currently living, working, and raising her family in her cultural home of Trinidad and Tobago. Melissa, welcome to the podcast again. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And last but not least is Catherine Dillon, who's a Cleveland Heights, Ohio-based author and former restaurant owner who writes about food, mental health, and anything else that strikes her fancy. Catherine, thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me again, uh, Dean. <laughs> Now, I just want to go um, and talk to each of you and actually have you introduce yourself to our audience and tell us a little bit about yourself other than what I've already said. Terry, can you start off? I'll be glad to. <clears throat> I just finished uh, grading final exams at Presbyterian College uh, a mere 90 minutes ago. So I'm free until early January. And at that point, my teaching will be competing with my impending grandfatherhood. Oh, wow. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Our first daughter, our firstborn is expecting and the baby's due in early February. It's going to be a little girl and there's no name yet because they can't figure out what to name this baby. So, but everything is going great in that regard. We're very excited. I'm not sure. I think it feels more real for my wife because she actually got to go to visit our daughter and hear the heartbeat. Live. Oh, wow. Uh, so I've only heard it um, through the phone. So anyway, that's those are the big events in my life at this moment. I'm still writing almost every day on Medium, just wrote a piece for the Riff 
about my 10 favorite songs uh, this past year. They're not 10 songs that were all done uh, last year, just songs that uh, I loved and discovered. And um, I did a piece for One Table, One World last week on the joys of baking Mondel bread. Which is really nice. I really love that. Thank you. And I've really enjoyed your work on the riff. Um, it's been really, really wonderful. I've, I've enjoyed the riff too. It's a great publication and just really standout stuff on that. Yeah, and as a plug for the riff, the, the next riff album discussion in January will be on January 9th. And uh, it's gonna feature an album by the, I guess they're, I can't remember now if they're British or not, but anyway, the band is Block Party, so. If, uh, if anyone's interested, just look for the announcement on the riff. Oh, and I'll, I'll, I'll try and find that link and put it on the, uh, the bio information so we could have people go to that too. I always like promoting other podcasts. And yeah, absolutely. It's a great podcast and you all will love it. And also read it on Medium too. Melissa, could you just um, talk to our listeners and give us a brief um, bio about yourself and talk about what you're doing currently? Okay, well, you gave a pretty sour bio, but yep. <laughs> I'm in uh brooklyn new york right now visiting my parents with my daughter and my partner and um we're trying to plan a wedding oh wow pandemic so oh, no it's it's interesting <laughs> um and i've just been enjoying this time i had um i was sick for a few months and so not with covid but <laughs> um but I'm now, you know, healthy and feeling really good. So it's been a really great time connecting with my family and trying to get back on track with, so I haven't written on Medium in months. Yeah. Um, because those, it, you know, I just had to stop working, which is really hard for me. Yeah. <laughs> really, really hard for me. I've owned my own business since I was 19. And so like working around the clock is the norm for me and my body just was not having it anymore. Yeah. Um, so these last few months of just getting reconciling with the fact that I couldn't work, I couldn't do anything. Um, I'm now in a healthy place and slowly getting back to doing things. So I haven't written a word on medium in like three months. Well, thank God you're healthier. I mean, that was, I was a concern. Yeah. Um, I'm feeling great. And so excited to be getting married next year, even though I never thought I would do the whole wedding. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. We've Thank been you. together for forever and a year. So <laughs> everybody's like, why are you getting married? <laughs> what is the point? But, you know, you get there when you get there. Well, yeah, you kind of have to do it for yourself, I think. It's your it's your wedding, you know? Yeah. And uh, Catherine, I want to ask you um, if you can give our listeners a brief bow about yourself again and um, just tell us about what you're working on right now. Sure. Um, yeah. So you mentioned I live in Cleveland Heights, Ohio. My husband and I purchased a 1910 built home a few years ago. It's huge. It's neglected. It's in need of a lot of work that we will probably be doing for the rest of our lives. So that's a big project for us. Um, we've also got two cats who are super duper spoiled um, who live with us. And um, one of them was recently diagnosed as diabetic. So I've learned to get over my fear of needles to be able to give her <laughs> injections twice a day. Oh, wow. Um, she's well worth it. Um, Melissa, I'm cracking up because my husband and I have been together for It'll be 26 years in May, and we got married in September of um, 
2015. So we were, we'd been together almost 20 years when we, when we got married and we had the exact same questions that you were talking about. Why now? And then they're saying, do you want to start a family? And I'm like, I'm 43 years old. I think I might have started <laughs> earlier at the time, you know. Um, oh, that's awesome. That so makes I, me feel great. Yeah, I hope you just have a blast with it because we had so much fun just being able to do it in our own way, on our own schedule, and and everybody yeah. had a lot of fun at our celebration too. I'm excited. Yeah, that makes me so excited. Like we've been together nine years, and I, and we had the kid already. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's cool. So I've been off Medium for a few months as well, largely because I kind of got sucked into writing for another platform where there were some financial opportunities and mm -hmm. I worked on that and that was a different approach to writing that I hadn't done in a while, but then I found it hard to get back to just the joy of it. And so that I, I kind of got lost a little bit. I have a lot of drafts and have been unable to finish them and I'm hoping to take some quiet time over the holidays and get some things actually published. Well, you know, you both bring up an excellent point. I've been there myself and I've actually had to kind of almost force myself to start writing reviews again, because the desire to do so wasn't there. And I occasionally have inspirations. I think if Terry hadn't inspired me to write for the riff a couple of times, I don't think that, um, and I was inspired largely by what he was doing. And just the riff itself is really kind of, it brought up a lot of memories for me. And I think that, you know, a lot of the stuff a medium does that it kind of triggers memories and like, oh, I want to write about that. But it is, you get to a part where it's dry and it's really hard to get momentum once you lose it. Is that the same for everybody else? Yes. Yes. I think it's yes. true for a lot of things. Like it's true for me with, with, you know, a lot of healthy habits in general, working yeah. out or cooking at home or, you know, just all of the things that I know I feel so much better when I do. If I, if I'm doing it, then it treks along and everything's great. But if I stop for a while, for some reason, it's hard to, to build that momentum. Oh again, my God. Sure. The same, the same. I mean, I was up until I got sick working out every day, um, which I loved and I'm, uh, I'm vegan, but um, getting out of that routine of working out every day, trying to get myself to work out once a week has been killing me. Me too. <laughs> uh, but me too. I'm hoping to start now instead of waiting for the new year. Right. Because um, I feel like if I get my momentum going now, then I can, um, I'll have it mastered by the time the new year. Oh my gosh, these people. No, it's okay. It's okay. It happens. It's fun though. It's fine. It's fine. It, it, organic stuff. It just happens. We're all, you know, we all have homes and stuff. None of us are like in a recording studio, but, but yeah. I, I just wanted to say in terms of the writing though, I had started writing, documenting the process of like how I was feeling when I was sick. Cause I thought I was dying. <laughs> Jeez. I, and so I had started writing things out. Um, but now that I'm feeling better, it's harder to sit with those writing, with that, with those things that I wrote and like um, make it something discernible that somebody else would um, understand. Um, so I'm working through that right now, like trying to figure out, because I think it could be useful for somebody else who may be going through something, but. Absolutely. <clears throat> Terry, what about you? I, you? You have a very prodigious amount of output that you put out. Does it a struggle for you ever to kind of get pen to paper or get, you know, fingers on the keyboard to get stuff out? Do you have, ever have difficulty with it? 
I have a lot of internal difficulty, but I, I'm such a routine-oriented person. I'm, I'm very, my wife says I'm, I'm, my nature is earth, and so I just kind of gravitate towards doing what is regular. And so I, I do have an incredible, almost OCD routine in the, in the morning. I don't know that I'm OCD, although you can ask people who know me better, but the writing has become such a part of the routine. And I know that if I go for more than a couple of days without writing, I'm not a healthy person. And I also don't want to lose the momentum, but the physical part, yeah, I, I've, I've only started going back to working out a little bit more. I walk my dog every morning and I used to think that was enough, but in the colder weather, you don't really sweat very much when you walk your dog, even for an hour. And I just, I need to release some of, but my body is, I'm 65 years old. My body is what it is. And um, so anyway, it's just easier to make myself right than it is to make myself get on that elliptical walker. But um, I do love writing. I still love writing. I don't understand a lot of what goes on with medium and all the algorithms. And so sometimes I get caught up in looking at stats or how much money is, and it's not generating any money really, but when you set a goal and you, then you're not meeting the goal, but you're still writing the same amount, it's, it's hard to keep that straight. And so my wife is always good. She says, you're only doing this for the joy, right? And I go, oh yeah, that's right. I'm doing this for the joy. And so that's, that's why all these sites, uh, particularly the music sites have been um, inspirational, motivational, because all my fellow writers are constantly coming up with new things like best debut album you ever heard and, and things like that. And I, I am trying to get back into some food writing, but when it's only my wife and me around here, I'm not thinking about food as much as I will be next week when the daughters arrive. I find for myself, um, I like writing mostly because my family's heard all my stories and doesn't want to hear any talk about food. They're sick of like talking about food with me and they don't want to hear how I saw Patty Smith or whatever. So writing is a great catharsis because it gets my stories out to the public where I can talk about stuff that my family is sick of hearing. Does this happen to anybody else? Like, you know, they want to get stories out there. You know, it's interesting because until this past May, my husband had not read anything that I wrote for Medium. And part of that was just my own sort of self-consciousness. Um, and part of it was the fact that in some cases I was alluding to, to him a little bit and he's a super private person and I kind of didn't want him to get mad. Yeah. Um, but I, I really tried to respect his privacy in my writing and only really incorporate him when it is necessary for this story, but he's such a huge part of my life. It's almost impossible not to. Um, so it was in some ways it made me kind of sad. It's like I had this thing I was doing that I wasn't sharing with him. But then in May, we decided to do a, a, just a little event in our own house for each other where we read some of our works out loud to each other. And that was really exciting. And he was very supportive. Um, but he has, you know, in some ways, heard all my stories. It's just he hasn't heard them quite the way I'm telling them <laughs> on Medium. So I think it's, it's interesting for him to, to hear my perspective in a different way. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, because oftentimes you could tell a story, but having somebody read it written changes the things up a little bit. Yeah. yeah. For, for me, I think I compartmentalize. 
So my my partner who also writes on Medium, he reads all my stuff and claps for all my stuff. Nice. <laughs> uh, my my larger family who I'm very close to I mean my mom is one of eight and I'm close to all of her siblings and you know 25 first cousins I'm very close to all of them but one of my aunts found a link to my medium on like my LinkedIn profile and fell down the rabbit hole and that's the only way that they knew that I was even writing on medium (laughs) And then, cause I, it's, it's not like a, a conscious thing. I forget that to tell them, Hey, I'm doing this thing. You know, they know that uh, my sister and I own a few businesses together. We do, they, none of them know what we do for a living. And so it's just kind of like, Oh, another thing Melissa's doing. And so I don't remember all the things all the time. Like this year I got published in two different like journals and stuff. And um, my partner had to remind me, like, did you send a copy for your mom? Did you tell them? And, you know, they get so excited. Like, I didn't know you were doing that. I forgot I was doing that too. Like, Melissa, that's so cool. And it reminds me of, we spend all our time researching and writing and all this stuff. How can we be our own promoters too? Someone needs to take that on for us. (laughs) Absolutely. I hate doing that. I just like, I hate it. I am just tired of that. So um, I'm I'm the writer. I don't want to do anything else. Yeah. I feel like my husband and I need to make a pact that I'm going to do the promotions for him and he's going to do the promotions for me because I feel like it would be easier to do it for somebody else. And I, I, in fact, I've had the best of intentions of doing some promotional stuff for him, but I still run out of time. (laughs) Yeah. My sister was like, girl, just hire somebody. You have too many things going on. Like I just uh, published a coloring book. Um, and she was like, okay, so we're working on all these projects with our business. You have the coloring book. You're still trying to write. You're doing all this stuff. Just hire somebody. But it's like, who? you have to spend time hiring people. Yeah, true. Yep. <laughs> Very true. My, mo- my mom used to say, what? Servants cool your, cool your hands and not your heart. So like people will do things, but they won't do it the way you would do it. Or right. like, Yes, this is why we've only painted one sixteenth of the exterior trim on our house at this point because my husband can't find somebody who would do it the way that he wants it. <laughs> well, it, it's funny about confidential stories too, and I'm, I'm thinking about do we want our family members to really know all of these stories? And fortunately, on Medium, unless you tag people or let them know. Uh, the people who are going to read on Medium are really not your family. Sometimes my friends have have read that, but only the ones who subscribe. And so I was I was telling a story. I think this one I can't remember who's published what, but I ran across a reference to an African-based band from the '70s called Osabisa, and I had totally forgotten that this band. Oh, yeah, was, yeah. So when I saw the reference to them, it immediately reminded me of a story uh, that happened when I was in high school. And it, I wrote the story over the week. I think, it's a, I think it's published in Assemblage, but it's about a predator who was one of my high school teachers. And I didn't, you know, the story's always been lurking back there, but it just took a quick reference and I'm sure that no one in my family knows the story and I have not told them the story and it's it's really 
horrible because the person who's the predator was also someone that I admired uh, back in those days. And in you know, high school days when you're just not, you know enough to be creeped out, but you're not sure what it all really means and how that this is a pattern. So uh, I don't know whether how to what degree to share these stories because I have a writer friend who's written some pretty horrible stories about his own family and put them out there in the world for people like his daughters to read. And I really don't want to be that person. Oh, from, that I yeah, I think for me, when it's traumatic stuff or things that I know will like trigger them, I, I mean, I, I don't, I, I'm not very vocal about the stuff that I'm doing, but I certainly don't mention those things. And I think that, that was my, my, my biggest fear when my aunt said, oh, I fell down a rabbit hole reading your stuff on Medium. I'm like, did she read the story about when I got raped? Did yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. because she won't, she, uh, my family, they're very Caribbean, very private. They're not going to bring that to me. Like, I read this story when you said you got raped. They won't confront me, but everybody will talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> and come to some, to their own conclusion about why I didn't tell them at the time. You know, but I mean, I think the only person I really have an answer for is my mom, because I don't want her, I didn't want her doing jail time. That is, you know. Well, I think that brings up a good point is that oftentimes we write stuff that happened that is significant to us, but our relatives have a different perspective or friends or coworkers, whatever. They have a different perspective and they are like, they can be offended by what we've written because they're like, this they see it from the perspective of how it reflects on them, not from our personal perspective. What do you guys think of that idea as far as like, have you had any encountered anything where somebody else's perspective was different and they're like, we're offended by what you've written on Medium? I'm trying to think whether it was on Medium. I've done this in other writing that's been published in literary journals that of course no one else is going to read either because yeah. they're so obscure but um i i always thought it was all in good fun and then learned it wasn't in good fun depending on who you were and so you, it's very difficult to say things even in jest and have it be taken the right way or the way i intended it and so i've definitely run afoul of of that of doing that and hurting some people by doing it, even when I didn't really intend to. Although maybe psychologically, maybe subconsciously, I did mean to poke. So then I have to go back and go, all right, be honest with yourself. What were you really intending here? Yeah, I think I do that with my twin sister. So I we spend a, a, an enormous amount of time together. We're extremely close, but she gets on my nerves sometimes. And I write, our stories and usually from my perspective my perspective is almost always 100% different to her perspective um, and she, the good thing about that though is that she'll read it and be like you were talking about me but I don't agree okay you make me look like a bitch and then five minutes later we're friends um, so uh, because we have that type of relationship she's probably the only person that I can kind of do that with well my partner to some degree too, but we usually discuss those things at home before we write about it, or I'll give him a heads up, like I wrote about this or whatever, and whatever, but I never mention names. I think for me, I have to, 
I, I'm always asking myself, like, am I telling my own story? Like, I was working on a draft, actually, yesterday, I think, just looking at a couple sentences, and I looked at one sentence, and I was like, that is my sister's information. That is not mine to tell, and I immediately took it out, because I just knew there was no question. It was one thing, it just came out in a stream of consciousness as part of the draft that I was working on, but it would never in a million years make it into the final version of the story, and but I will write about uncomfortable topics. I will write about my eating disorder. I will write about being assaulted. I will write about, you know, mental health issues and that kind of thing, because I want to shed the stigma and I want other people to know that they're not alone. And, you know, that that's mine to write about. It's my truth and my story. And if somebody in my family is uncomfortable with that, then that's kind of on them, I think. And they're welcome to talk to me about it. Obviously I wrote about it. So I'm open to, to that conversation. But what's the line, Catherine, like where it stops being your story and it becomes like a family story? Or... It, that is tricky. And that is that is the, the trickiest part, because there are there are facets to my stories that I don't share because of that. And as long as the story is robust enough without them, then I don't feel like it's um, diminishing what I'm saying. But um, yeah, I, there, there are places I just can't go without burning some bridges that I'm not willing to burn. Well, I think that's an excellent question, Melissa. And it's, it's one that I've contemplated and again, crossed boundaries. But so here's how it can be really, really tricky. So my family of origin is half Jewish, half Christian. And that's, and I was raised in a certain way. Um, when I met my wife uh, and we got married, she's Persian. And so years after we had been married, I'm talking 20 years after we've been married, we're all with her family sitting down for a meal. And her sister starts talking about that on their uh, mother's side of the family, that side of the family too was all Jewish. And it was a big secret. And so of course, I'm just finding this really, really funny. And, and just this is kind of delightful because now I'm thinking my kids are actually half Jewish, but not in a way that you would imagine at this point. And so I decide I want to tell the story because it's got all these wonderful parts to it. And I did, I wrote the story and I thought it was a really fun story, but it wasn't my story to tell. And I found out later on that they really didn't want me to tell that story because they were not they were afraid of it getting out to certain people, which I understand, but I didn't know. And so I thought, well, it does touch me. And in some parts, it's my story, but it's not fully my story. And yet it was put out publicly at this big meal, or at least family in, in a big meal. So should I have told it or not? I'm still bouncing that off. And the other thing I was going to say in relation to your twin sister is sometimes the people we love can really be pains in the butt. Hello? Yes. Can you write about it or not? <laughs> can you do that with love or not? <laughs> I mean, with my sister, I think we have, uh, we were raised in a way where we have, dis we disagree probably daily, but we talk all day long also. So she gets on my nerves to in this moment, I'll hang up the phone with her and five minutes later, she's calling me about something else. So I know that it won't damage our relationship permanently. So um, I'm good with that. I don't know if 
it was with a family member who I had a more tense relationship with if I would do that. But with her, I know I can. Of course, um, we should also write about it and admit when we are pains in the butt. Because I, I, try. <laughs> I try, but I'm just not as big of a pain in the butt as she is. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? <laughs> I wanted to ask, um, I, I think we all have pieces that we're particularly proud of on Medium or on One Table and One World. Does anybody want to talk about a piece you're particularly proud of? And if you want to read any part of anything, please uh, feel free to. When you say proud, do you mean a piece that was really successful or just one that we really love? One that you personally really just love. I <laughs> I jotted down some notes about this earlier. I had one piece go viral and I really wished I'd never written it because it, I learned the hard way to not read the comments when that happens. Um, and so that was interesting. But some of my favorite pieces that I personally am, am the most proud of the writing don't necessarily do that well. Um, so I'm, I don't think that bodes well necessarily for, you know, my someday book, but um, I don't care. I love them anyway. Um, one of them that I absolutely can't read um, is about when we um, took my dad's ashes to Blowing Rock, North Carolina, my mom and my sister and her family and me, but I would start crying if I read it. <laughs> That's actually the background that, that those of it's you who are here with me today are, are seeing. But another one that I love is, um, it's about moving into our house and it's called, It's Not Home Until You've Cooked Your First Dinner There. Um, and I could read a short snippet of that if you want please please do yeah okay you <laughs> get my readers <laughs> okay so i'm gonna start after a couple of paragraphs just for the sake of time and basically my husband and i have seen this house we've driven by a couple times it was out of our price range a couple of contracts fell through and our realtor has called us and said contract fell through again do you want to see it um and the price had barely come down to what we might be able to afford so, a blustery evening in Northeast Ohio, dark and dismal, but with a crispness we'd grown to appreciate. It was the depressing part of the Cleveland winter, though. It creeps in after the holiday cheer ends, when you know there are months to go before the thaw. We wouldn't be able to see the gardens, but at least we could take a tour of the house. Even the front door was a behemoth, solid oak, three inches thick and a good four feet wide. It slowly swung open to welcome us with a groan. Our realtor darted away to disarm the home security system as we stepped hesitantly into the vestibule. My eyes widened in awe of the steel gray carved stone walls reminiscent of a medieval castle. Could this really be the place? Later, my husband told me he had no doubt at that moment when he saw my face that I would find a way to get us that house. I'm tenacious like that. A few days later, we were under contract. So I'll just leave it there, but... Um, I go on to talk about the craziness of the move and leaving our old house behind and how it wasn't so much that the physical move killed us, but the emotional move from the place that we lived before where we, where we got married, where we, you know, said goodbye to pets and parents and had all these memories. And basically you, what does it take for a house to become a home? And for me, one of those things is when you start preparing and sharing meals there. So I, I think I have, I think I actually have a recipe in that one too, but. <laughs> I love that one. It's a, I remember reading that one. That's a, that's a really great one. Thank you. 
Does anybody else have one they might want to talk about or share? Yeah, I think I would just continue with the one I was referencing from assemblage. Um, and I was going to read this little part of it. It's uh, the piece is called Charming Creeps. And uh, I'm going to pick up about midway through. Crush is a funny word, sweet enough if a 13-year-old has it for a 14-year-old, but not when a 16-year-old has it for a 28-year-old, especially not if she announces it in a somewhat public forum like a high school yearbook. There was once a guy whose charisma was such that everyone, everyone wanted to touch him. A guy who, when discussing Antony and Cleopatra, kept referring to the African queen as a babe. Maybe that sounds harmless to you. It once did to me too. Except I read what a high school girl wrote in his yearbook. He let me and us read it too, proudly. And when we asked about it, he grew quiet, shrugged and tried to pass her off as that poor thing. In a way, we all had crushes on this guy in the sense that most of us had truly never met anyone like him. Some older people can really make high school classes fun, memorable, can even inspire futures in the field. Another definition of crush, when the world looks one way, sunny, rosy, you pick, and then it goes dark in an instant, and it's the light source itself that does the extinguishing, the crushing. So when I read that yearbook entry and thought about the way she told him she loved him, not love ya or love ya, but I love you, it seemed even to my virginal mind, that this was more than hero worship, more than an instant crush. But what exactly was it though? That's really great. I love that. Thank you. And yeah, it was, it just gets sadder from there, but let's, you can read it if you want. I love that. And um, Melissa, do you have anything you want that you're particularly proud of? I mean, I stared at that question for forever and I'm like, I don't know. I nitpick everything once it's, okay. it's published. I hate them all after. But um, I actually think that my first food piece um, on Medium, because I wrote it right after my grandmother died and it was about uh, making chili, which was something she taught me how to do. And she learned how to make for my sister and I um, as little kids, because we're Caribbean and they didn't know anything about chili. We came home from, um, from preschool and begged her to make this dish we had had at school. Um, I won't read it because I can't even find it. I'm on Medium right now, like scrolling. <laughs> find it but um I think that is one of my all of the ones where I recount memories of my grandmother are really um close to me because I feel like when I write about her I conjure her spirit and I feel her around mm -hmm. me um there's those there are those and then the the ones that I like but I like them because they challenge me are the ones where I write about traumatic experiences. So um, I had written about when my father was murdered in Trinidad and I had written about when I was assaulted in college. Um, those challenged me to like get it out. You know what I mean? Like um, it was like a catharsis. I really had to confront myself and confront my feelings about it. I think those are both probably too emotional for me to read, but those are the pieces that I really love. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Now, um, I was going to ask all of you, since the holidays are coming up and we've had a holiday season, some holidays have even already really recently passed, such as Hanukkah. Um, many of us are celebrating winter holidays that are coming up. I have uh, next week both, because my family is mixed, I have uh, both the solstice and I have Christmas. So what about the rest of you? What are you guys doing to celebrate the holidays this year? Well, sadly, Hanukkah did pass and our daughters weren't here. And in the past, when they were here, we would light the menorah every night. I'd make latkes and I make cheese latkes for them mm. uh, since that's my favorite. And, you know, we would do all sorts of great things. And it was just my wife and me and, you know, how things get when it's only the two of you. Yeah. Um, the, some of the traditions just fall by the wayside. And sometimes Hanukkah overlaps and they're here, but they will be coming for Christmas. And so we'll have an enormous Christmas meal on uh, mid-afternoon and full of the things that my kids all love, those twice-baked potatoes. I'm going to try an asparagus casserole. Uh, I don't want to mention the meat course, Melissa. So uh, but <laughs> there will be a meat course. <laughs> I don't get offended. I don't get offended at all. <laughs> I know, it just feels funny, you know, to, to here, this is the meat we're having. <laughs> My family's all about preparing the meat and having it sitting right in front of me. <laughs> well, like I said, we're traveling. Usually we're at home in Trinidad for um, for Christmas, which I am missing home. It's 89 degrees Fahrenheit at home every day. It's freezing in oh, New wow. <laughs> And um, But I'm enjoying watching my daughter um, spend the holidays with her grandparents. She doesn't get to see my... She hadn't seen them in two years because of the pandemic, so... They just uh, put up the Christmas tree over the weekend, and it is fun to watch her fight with my mom the way she fights with me about our Christmas tree at home. <laughs> you know, because she wants to put all the decorations in one spot. I'm like, you, this is not how people decorate a tree. But she's so uh, forceful with her argument. She was arguing with her grandmother the same way. It's lovely to watch that she doesn't keep all that smoke from me. I'm just <laughs> amazed. Um, and then I'm just looking forward to uh, my, well, my, my mom cooks a lot for the holidays. I think because we're here, she's trying her best to make like vegan options for me. So we'll see what that looks like. And I think I'm going to make some vegan pastels. Pastels are like my favorite Caribbean Christmas food. Um, and last year I learned how to make, I learned how to make them. So I'm going to make some sweet potato um, pastels and some mm. um, pecan meat pastels. So I'm excited about that. Very nice. 
books. Melissa, my sister, when she was little, she's three years younger than I am, and she would put all the ornaments on one branch. <laughs> and my my parents, it was just hilarious. My dad would be rolling his eyes, and yeah, there's there's a picture documenting Sarah's branch. <laughs> so it's one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah. Well, my my partner and I have learned not to argue with her, right? So what we do is when she goes to bed, we redistribute exactly the ornaments. But my mom did not know that that was the thing or whatever. So the first few times she, she's like, babe, why do you keep putting everything right in the same spot? It's a big tree. We need to spread it out. And McKenna's like, I want it here. And so <laughs> then um, after a while, I had to pull my mom to the side and be like, stop fighting. Don't fight the power. When she goes to sleep, just redistribute. Right. The power is right. No one helps the power like the kids in the household when it's Christmas time. Yes, exactly. Yeah, we're going to be celebrating solstice and Christmas as well. So nice. we have a tradition of having typically soup for uh, solstice and also Christmas Eve. And I don't know how we got on the the tradition of doing that for solstice, but it seems to have stuck. But when I was younger, my mom would always make a pot of soup on Christmas Eve because people would be going to church and sometimes people needed to go at different times. So it was easy to have like a pot of soup on the stove that people could just grab, you know, when they had a moment or whatever. And it just, it kind of stuck over the years. Um, do you do solstice, particular, particular oh, soup? You know, it varies from year to year. Um, I always just kind of sit down with my husband and see if there's anything he's in the mood for. But this year we're going to have um, a turkey white bean chili on solstice that oh, I'll do nice. in the crock pot. And then just a potato soup on Christmas Eve, I think, probably with some kind of, you know, crusty bread and a salad or something like that. Yum. Very nice. Yeah. But on solstice, we try to minimize you know the electric lights and like do fire and candles and turn off electric devices and just make everything sort of contemplative and peaceful um if the weather's cold but not raining we might have a fire we have a little campfire pit in our backyard um so that's that's always nice to do on solstice yeah we do something similar to you although my son won't be with us next week so i don't know we might do it early because, you know, it's still dark, but uh, we like to do a fire pit and stuff. I always make a um, Middle Eastern um, pomegranate chicken with caramelized mm -hmm. onions and pomegranate molasses and uh, these fried onions on it. It was really good. Did you put that on, on One Table, One World? Yeah, yeah, I did. I thought so. That sounded familiar. That's and it's, really I, it's in my spreadsheet of recipes <laughs> to try. <laughs> so my wife usually makes the dessert for Christmas Day, too. She makes one of my mother's old recipes that she got of they call it a christmas yule log and or our roulage and so she's going to do that but i'm going to try charlotte ruse which is also a dessert that my mom used to make and i've never tried it my brother has issued the challenge uh he said well we make it here so you can easily make it there so that's going to be my new my new recipe or at least my new try for this christmas Nice. Really so good. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. I love that. I bake loads and loads of cookies. And every year I bake way too many. I'm drowning in cookies. And then I swear that I'm never going to make that many cookies again. And then you can't stop me. Um, so I'm, I think I have eight batches of dough in the freezer right now that I'll bake this weekend. And then I'm also making like some Florentines that you dip in chocolate. I like to try one new recipe every year for cookies just to see if 
it becomes part of the regular rotation or not. I find Florentines to be really hard. I've always screwed them up completely when I make them. I just, I have this mental block that I can't make them. I don't know what it is. I, I kind of have that mental block too. So we'll see. I'll let you know how it goes. I think those are going to happen next, next week. We don't really, we're not big on desserts, but traditionally Caribbean people do black cake, which is like a fruit cake. It's like grind fruit or whatever, but it's doused in rum. Mm, sounds good. Yeah. Um, so my mom always makes black cake. I stopped eating it as a child because once I could, not as a child, after when I became able to drink, I stopped eating the, the black cake because I was just eating it for the buzz. Yeah. <laughs> but it'll be interesting. We all were. <laughs> it'll be interesting to see how my daughter um, responds to black cake because I don't make it at home. Um, and her other her other granny makes it but I mean I probably shouldn't say this on a podcast but it's not as good as my mom's um so we'll see we'll see if she um if she likes my mom's version and my mom makes a really good sweet bread so it's like uh shredded coconut with Mm. um a few dried fruit and stuff and the kids really love it so I'm excited for the sweet bread I do a fruitcake as well. It was actually my dad's recipe. He started making it at some point along the way. And, you know, everybody jokes about fruitcake here in the United States, but people would look forward to his fruitcake. And so when he passed away, I took over the fruitcake making in our family and I make like little loaves. And so I think the recipe, I cut the recipe in half and it makes about 11 little loaves. So that's enough to pass out to like my family and my husband's family. And I start it usually the weekend before Thanksgiving so that yeah. it can kind of cure up and I put brandy on it and because my dad likes brandy so that's what I use yeah nice. um, we start soaking the fruits around Thanksgiving mm-hmm. as well and then you grind them up and then once the cake is baked my mom pours vat 19 rum over the top of it every couple of days to mm-hmm. make it now yeah. people do make fun of fruitcake in this country and as a kid I didn't get what fruitcake I, I just didn't get the attraction to it, but now I would kill for some homemade fruitcake. I, I, I have to send you one one of these years, Terry. Oh, that would be wonderful. I wish someone around here that I knew <laughs> made them like my grandmother and mother used to make them. Yeah, I like fruitcake. I don't know why people always make fun of it. I think Johnny Carson started that and everybody started mocking be. it, but I'm like, it sells well. People eat it. I mean, I know it's somebody's got to be eating it. I don't think that people are be gifting it all the time. My husband hates to throw away food. Like he almost will not do it. I've seen him eat so many questionable things because he won't throw things away. But the only thing I've seen him throw away was a fruitcake that he bought from the store once. Uh, He said it was so disgusting. He couldn't even eat it. It tasted like chemicals. So I think he's probably glad that I'm making it at home now. (laughs) Now, you guys got me um, thinking. I, I just got invited to be in a, it's a holiday bread or holiday cake making contest this next week. And I'm starting late because I just, thought of, I've been deliberating on what I want to do. So I'm going to do with something called a Scottish black bun. I've made this before, although when I made it before I made it large size, which I don't recommend. So I'm going to make a smaller one. And so basically it's a fruit cake with mostly black fruits, like black currants, black uh, raisins, all these different types, like uh, minced peel, things like that. And it's soaked in whiskey and then it's cooked in an edible pastry case. So when you, and you put a look, when it's through baking, you put a hole in the top and you pull out a plug and every day you fill it with some whiskey. 
Oh. And you do that, and that's that would be good to start back in uh in Thanksgiving, but I'm gonna do it probably this weekend, and then uh, I'll I'll cut into it, and I guess you basically peel off the outer rind layer, and just serve the inner part, which is this big black treacly looking thing. So I'm gonna make that for the contest and see how it does. I want to hear about that. That's fascinating. I'll, I'll post pictures. Okay. We expect a one table one word uh, world article on that for sure. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. yes. <laughs> it's fun, but I, I people ate it, but it was like they looked at it. people try and eat. I'm like, don't eat the outer part. It's inedible. It's just flour and water. Please don't eat that. But so I want to ask you all, what um, food writers are you guys reading right now? Who's inspiring you right now on either written word or TV or wherever? Jeez, that's so good. So my wife got us watching that British baking show competition ah. last week and, you know that's something i've heard about forever but just never sat down and watched it and i loved it i just absolutely loved it and there was the woman who won last week and i don't know if this is pre-recorded was just made this incredible house out of pastry and had it was a cake of some sort i i, I that i don't remember what kind it was but the way she did it all and the way she did it under pressure and time, I thought, man, that is an inspiration. So now I'm I'm hooked on the great British baking show or whatever it's called. Me too. I love it. I've Do watched it over watch... and over again. <laughs> Do you guys watch Great British Menu? No. I don't know no. about that. Well, I love I love all the British cooking shows, but uh and I like Great British Baking Show too, but the Great British Menu, it's like chefs competing. Mm. Um, it's a million, a million episodes, but it's like um, people from different regions all over Great Britain competing for like, um, I guess the top honor. And at the end they do like, it's, Three, it's like a three course or four course meal and they pick a different chef for each course. Oh, wow. It's really. I got to watch really that. That sounds fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's really cool. But I guess I've been um, not watching much TV and not reading much, just kind of in this, in my own little cocoon, <laughs> trying to get well. But I went to this amazing restaurant in philadelphia uh, mission taqueria have you guys been anybody been there no, i've been to I've philadelphia. heard of it <laughs> they have these mushroom al pastor tacos oh. that are amazing and i'm gonna try to make them i might write about that mm -hmm. for uh, one table one world but that, that sounds delicious oh my yeah. god yes it was so good we popped in there for a snack on our way before dinner on our way to like a, a dinner with a friend and ended up um, going back the next day and having like a full meal. It was amazing. The, the tacos are amazing. The drinks were amazing. They have a tamarind drink. Which oh, as, yeah. I love that. Yeah. As a Caribbean girl, I'm always about the tamarind and they put um, salt and chili on the glass. I was like, this is amazing. This is the life. And I miss my I miss my train back to New York, sitting there drinking those cocktails <laughs> and eating tacos. That sounds delicious. <laughs> uh, something else that I've been watching when it comes on is there's a show called True South on, it's actually on the SEC 
network, the Southeastern Conference <laughs> Network. And I don't know how it managed to get on that network, but nevertheless, it is. And you can you can search for it. But John T. Edge, who used to do the Southern Foodways Alliance, I think he's stepped down from that now, travels to these um, out-of-the-way places in the South looking for restaurants, cafes, diners, joints that no one knows much about. He was just in, uh, I think it was Scott, Arkansas, not too long ago, but he just finds these incredible places uh, and writes about the food and, and broadcasts them and shows what they do. And some of these places have been in the same family for 50, 60, 70 years. And they're the kind of places that many people would drive by and never even think about going in. But he goes in, he meets the people. They're usually relatively poor, but they do it for the love. They keep making food for the love. And uh, so I, I, I get inspiration from that show, but more than anything else, it makes me want to just get out of the house and go find places like this. And, you know, or a taco place like Melissa's talking yeah. about and, yeah. and sit there and miss trains and everything else just to enjoy. Listen, I have been trying to convince my partner to go on a trip just to eat. He, mm -hmm. He's not with me. He's like eating <laughs> his first arrival. I'm like, you don't understand the joy yeah. that you're missing out in life. I wanted, I came, we came to the States and I was like, can we go to Atlanta just so I can try slutty vegan? <laughs> and he was looking at me like I had three heads and my sister left too early for us to go because she will travel for food you got to come here to the bay area you could there's so much here like you we could you could eat anything on, on in the entire world here in the bay area yes I do need to I've never been so I do want to make it out there I'm gonna have to look look into that but I want to ask you guys have you guys heard of this show on Netflix called the school of chocolate Oh, I've seen it, but I haven't yeah. watched it yet. That's one yeah. of those to be watched things. Yeah, people have been recommending it to me. Like, it's amazing. You're going to love it. I just haven't had the time to watch it. I was wondering if you guys had checked it out. have not. No one really been, watched that. Yeah, I've been that, stuck in the Umbrella Academy, but that's, you know. <laughs> that's I, amazing. I, I love that, I too. The whole yeah, show. Yes. Yeah, I know. So I want to make a point. I, I have about probably 15 cookbooks and food related books on my on my Christmas list and I am drawing a complete blank on them right now but one thing I read recently actually just probably 10 minutes before we got on this podcast was Melissa I was diving into one table one world just like you know quick browsing and I was like pickles and peanut butter it's so good oh it's my yeah. gosh oh, so it. I'm all about that right now I'm all about it's that right so now good. I'm so gonna make that that I, I like peanut butter with all sorts of strange things, but I've never tried anything like that. <laughs> yes, do it. Please, and tell me if you like it. I will. My family thinks I'm nuts, <laughs> but it is delicious. It was so good. I Melissa, like your recipes are delicious. You you write such beautiful recipes. I always get hungry reading your writing. Yes. <laughs> oh, thank you. True, it's true. You know what's funny? I'm at my mom's house. She won't even allow us to cook in her kitchen neither me or my twin sister we've never cooked in our mom's kitchen but other people are like they cook so well their food is so amazing she's not trying to hear it and she's not trying to eat. <laughs> i totally understand <laughs> i'm possessive about my kitchen too i'm not but that possessive if you want to come cook in my kitchen come on <laughs> <Me too. laughs> i think i get it i'm a little bit uh 
OCD about my kitchen, like just put everything back where you get it. But my mom is crazy with it. She's like, you move my pot two inches to the left. I'm like, okay, lady, I'm not doing this with you. I will just come and eat your food. Um, I'm not really possessive about my kitchen, but I, I need for everybody to know what their roles are. So like either, am I the boss? Because if I'm the boss, I'm just going to delegate like we're on a kitchen line. And if I'm not, then I need you to tell me what you want me to do. And I think it probably does come from, you know, the restaurant world where it, it's, it's almost choreographed, you know, where right. you just, you have, it's like a dance <laughs> and everything is like very intuitive. And so I kind of, that's what I, I need. And I can get a little anxious if I don't have that. <laughs> so do you work in restaurants? I don't, or? I don't, I am. Um, I spent about 10 years in the restaurant industry and co-owned a restaurant for about seven of those years, six or seven. Um, mm -hmm. But I think it's like that feeling of being on a line in a kitchen is something that kind of never leaves you. I mean, that was over 20 years ago. <laughs> so yeah. it's kind of interesting that I still have that, that vibe and certain things that I do in the kitchen, I can sense are part of that, that restaurant world. Well, don't you find that your parents lived through you in these these kind of funny ways? So my daughter and her new boyfriend were here for Thanksgiving, and I he wanted mashed potatoes. We usually do sweet potatoes, so we did both. But um, so I found a, a really nice herb butter mashed potato recipe that I thought would be fun to try, and I was going to do it. And so they said, "Oh, we can do that." I said, "Okay, that's fine." But I stood there looking over their shoulder going now are you gonna you know do this you're gonna do that and and my daughter just looked at me and said okay grandma get out of the way and I thought yeah that's that's exactly right so I got out of the way and they did it just fine yes I wish my mom had gotten the get out of the way part she still hasn't gotten that yet but I I, I am similar so if my daughter or my partner asked me how to do something I'm going to be standing over them supervising yeah. like how they're doing it he's like you know I made it a whole 20 something years without you I can cut up some vegetables yeah I, I was 60 years old and my mother was still telling me how to scrape the corn off the cob and you know you're not doing it right I'm going, yeah I've been doing this for what 25 years and okay yeah I think when maybe maybe when my parents come to visit me, I can cook them a whole vegan spread and set it up. I just have to get them to Trinidad at a time other than carnival because they only come, you know, people are like, oh, people get into their 60s and they want to relax. Not my parents. <laughs> they come to Trinidad to party. And so if I can schedule in five minutes <laughs> for family dinner or for, for like a quick visit, then I'm lucky. So we have to find get them to Trinidad for like something other than carnival because I won't ever see them. That's that's fun. I love that. So what's next for each of you? Are you any of you working on anything right now that you're gonna have come out next year or any projects? I am working on I've got a proposal out to several different publishers to see um it was you know that i did that american crisis playlist series yeah. and so i've compiled all 52 of them into book form with new commentary and so i've 
like I said, four or five different places are looking at it right now. So I'm very hopeful that someone will want it. And I'm, I'm trying, I mean, I'm ambitiously trying to send it to a different publisher and some competitions to see what will happen. And um, I'm also compiling another book of essays, or I will be if I can, um, if I can get past uh, a couple of other obstacles. That's exciting. Yeah. Yes. I hope we don't go back into crisis mode either, so I don't have to revise that. Me too. Have volume two, volume three. Oh no. Yeah, I think rather not. One is plenty. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really, really hoping to just, I have so many drafts, I mean, hundreds of essay drafts, and I really just want to kind of pick the top 10 and start cranking through them and just, put, you know, wrapping them up and tying the bow. Um, but my, my goal is to get started on compiling my book, but it may be more of like a five-year plan. I need more essays to choose from on specific topics because it's going to sort of center around the renovations of our house connected to, you know, some cooking and food things woven into oh, it. Oh, nice. I like um, that. So I definitely want to do that and maybe start mapping out so I know the kinds of essays that I need to write to fill in what I'm seeing as the missing pieces right now. So. I love that. I think for me, the last time we talked, Dean, you you asked me, um, "Am I coming out with a cookbook?" And I'm not. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. But I am really starting to think about it and thinking about like what recipes and stuff. And so, um, just as we've been on this call talking to you guys, it really made me think that I should be going back through my recipes that I've posted on Medium and the things that I've published to my uh, Substack and going back and um, just revving up my uh, motivation and my inspiration to start my writing practice when it comes to food again. Um, I want to get back into that. Getting back into regularly writing about food is top of my list. And it's been really, really hard for me uh, these last few months because I haven't been cooking as much. So getting all that inspiration, getting back into it is really the next step for me. Other than that, I'm releasing this cook, this coloring book and I'm turning that into a series. Um, it's it's uh, called the A Few HU Women You Should Know. So I went to Howard and so it's based around women who graduated from Howard University. You know, we have a lot of um, really famous Black women who graduated from Howard or, or historically relevant figures and stuff. So I want to turn that into a series. So I just started with artists and writers and then the next one will be like people who really made a mark like the vice president and like other people. Like that. that sounds Very amazing. Cool. Wow. <laughs> Great. Very impressive. Well, I, I'm just really happy to be able to talk to all of you. And I really want to thank you for being on the podcast. I'd like to maybe try and do this again in the spring. Maybe we can kind of all re-meet again in the spring and talk again and wait, catch up. Wait, Dean. Wait, not, Dean. You didn't tell us what's next for you. Oh, you? True, true. I'm sorry. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah. Um, so what I'm doing yeah. is I'm actually working on a lot of um, librarian-centric stuff right now. So I'm writing some actual articles on people getting their books into libraries and podcasting for librarians. So that's something I'm working on right now. 
this is kind of new for me. I think I was intimidated by it because librarians can be very judgmental. <laughs> so I'm a little bit afraid of putting it out there for my peers, but I'm going to just do it and whatever happens, happens, you know. It'll be heavily nice. edited first, though. <laughs> <laughs> very heavily edited. Yeah, that's what I'm working on. And I'm really enjoying the podcast thing. I'm having such a damn blast with this. This has been so fun. I've already done a lot of uh, episodes for up through January and I'm going into February already. And it's just amazing. I'm really having such luck with this. So many great people have been able to talk to so many great cookbook writers. I don't know why I'm so lucky, but I'm not, I'm not complaining. I'm very happy. Awesome. That's what I'm working on. So. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I'd love to do this again in the spring. And I have I to say, too. I feel very inspired having participated in this conversation. So I hope that bodes well for my writing over the next couple of weeks. I but hope so too, Catherine. <laughs> I'm dying to read. I know, and I miss everybody. Having... I, I, I stopped reading as much as I had been because it made me feel guilty every time I went on and didn't have anything new to share. Listen, you are my spirit animal. This is why I've been not been on Medium. I just yep. logged on to Medium and I'm like, I don't even know this interface. Like they changed the, yes. the whole setup. Yep, absolutely. And yes. Well, we will dive back in together, Melissa. Yes. yes please do. Please do. <laughs> You know, I, I have to say, I, I mean, I don't know about the rest of you, but you have all have made the last two years survivable for me. And I want to really thank you for being there for me and, and talking your friendship and just having you as peers on Medium has been so important to me. You've made my last two years survivable. So thank you. You guys are the greatest present I could have for the winter holidays. Thank you very much. Right back at you. Thank you, Ding. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, all right, we'll sign off now. It's good seeing all of you, and you guys have really good happy holidays. You too. You too. Thanks so much. Bye, everybody. I had a great time talking with my friends from One Table, One World on Medium, and I hope you had a great time listening to it. Um, circle back to us in the beginning of January. We're going to start season five off with some really great interviews. Um, we have a host. A wonderful guest already lined up ready to go for you um, we have lynn bauman who is uh, the uh, wonderful exuberant author of brownies for breakfast and uh, she's our first guest of the season and i really can't wait to have you hear that interview victorious lynn floor an old friend of mine who was the food editor for our new orleans newspaper uh, she's going to be our second guest. Nina G, the comedian uh, who uh, we haven't had on the show yet, but, but I'm really sorry we haven't because she's a great guest and a great friend of mine from other events. Um, she's going to be up promoting her new book, an anthology about the Bay Area stand-up comedy uh, history, a kind of an archival work um, about the history and the different comedians that span time in the Bay Area at a venue such as The Hungry Eye, among others, over time. So she's going to be here um, on the 10th, uh, also talking about her first book, Stutter Interrupted. Um, after her is Catherine McBride, who is a food and health writer. She'll be up next um, as well. We have Michelle Tam from Nom Nom Paleo on. Catherine Nassou, a book, cookbook Macedonia. Macedonia. Uh, Zuza Zak, author of Amber and Rye, and also Polska will be on. Ken Albala, Noodle Soup Recipes, Techniques, Obsession, Beans Throughout History, a food a writer and historian. He'll be on as well. Lisa Steele will be back to talk about her newest cookbook. Can't wait. It's going to be a great cookbook. 
uh, The Fresh Eggs Daily Cookbook, and Anma, Kitchen Chinese, The Lost Vintage, Instantly French, as well as others. She'll be on in March. So look forward to having all these guests on and more. That's just the tip of the iceberg. We'll be having lots more on for season five. So please circle back and uh, listen to the podcast then. I think you'll have a great time in store in the new year. So that's being said, happy holidays to all of you. I hope you have a really warm, loving holidays, safe holidays as well. Please stay safe um, for you and your loved ones and a happy new year as well. I'll see you on the new year. And until then, as always, Keep cooking.